So this is February 2024. February 2010, my wife and I were gifted by some church members a cruise, a carnival cruise uh, to Mexico. And I had just had radical neck dissection where they took out some of my lymph nodes on the left side of my neck. And uh, it was a gory looking incision. I have pictures of it. I probably should have put it up here, but it might scare some of you away. Um, but the scar was pretty long and they stuck not nice, clean little stitches. It was the staples. It looked like T50 utility staples. I mean, on the side of my neck and they were just kind of clamped in there and everything else and i was only a couple of weeks out from the surgery and i was scheduled to start radiation surgery when we got back from the cruise so this was going to be like our very last huzzah you know before we kind of entered into that season um, of, of treatment and while on board you know how it is i don't know they they give you the opportunity to sign up for all of the different events and activities and the excursions that you might have um, on wherever you're going to disembark and this one particular service had a guided scuba diving excursion that i was really excited about and i had learned to dive in the military but denise did not know how to dive and so i thought this would be a good opportunity somehow they made it safer and they it was all protected and everything but this one had a particular way of getting people who had never dived before into the water in a safe way and you got to use the buoyancy compensator you got to use the flippers and the mask and the whole nine yards you know you had the air tanks and all of that it was limited to how far you could go they wouldn't let you dive very deep but evidently it was something that could be pretty fun so i was very excited and we get off the ship in mexico and we made our way up the little hill to the dive shop to check in you know i'm all excited and this guy is checking us in and he keeps looking at my neck he just keeps checking it out and asking me all of these questions about my neck. And I was like, oh, what this? Oh, that was nothing. I had surgery about a week ago. You know, it's, it's really, it's just a scratch, really. It's nothing, you know, and he kept going. He kept saying, I don't know about this, you know, and he went and said, I'll be right back. And he went and talked to somebody and I was watching him over there talking and he turned around and looked at me and then pretty soon they're coming over here to talk to us. And I'm like, oh no. And I told Denny, shh, shh, let me do the talking. We're this, this surgery is about to skunk the deal, you know? And um, he walks up to me and he's kind of looking at my Frankenstein neck and asking me all these questions. And I was like, no, you know, everything's fine. He goes, sorry, sir, too dangerous for you, you know? And so in spite of my appeals and trying to assuage his fears, he kind of leads Denise and I out of the scuba diving lane, you know, line where they're getting on the boat and everything. And he leads us over to the snorkeling line, you know, with all the little kids and old little old ladies. And we had to get in line for that. And I was just so disappointed about that because I was looking so forward to it. I remember pouting on the boat ride out to the, out to the thing and just thinking, you know, I'm going to be piddling. I remember piddling around in the little shallow water with my little snorkel on, trying to keep my, my mass from being fogged up. And I was just thinking, this is so lame. This is such a lame experience. I mean, anybody who's ever been scuba diving knows that the experience of scuba diving is exponentially more fun than snorkeling. It's just a totally different thing. And if you are snorkeling now and you really enjoy snorkeling, don't ever learn to scuba dive.
because it will ruin it for you forever. Snorkeling is over. You'll never be able to do it the same. And with snorkeling, you're pretty much restricted to paddling around in the shallow water. That's all you have. You don't have any air. If you want to go deep, what do you have to do? You have to hold your breath. You have to stroke, 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 stroke. Get it down as deep as you can get down there and look at whatever you're looking at. And then pretty soon you got to do what? You got to go back up, you know? You head back up for more air. And you can see all the happy divers down there and they're going along and they're just smooth. You know, uh, if you don't know, diving is much easier when you have all that gear on because you're weighted, it holds you underwater and it has a buoyancy compensator. And so it, 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 it equalizes uh, your weight in the water so that you're very efficient and you can just move around. And you have that, you can stay down for a super long period of time because you have that life-sustaining air on your back. And so it's just much better experience. And now, those of us who are up on the surface, kind of floating around like an empty, mellow yellow bottle, really understand that if you've ever scuba dived, it's much better than being up on the surface. But this difference between one's experience in scuba diving in the depths of the ocean versus that of snorkeling up in the shallows serves as an apt image for our spiritual life. It really does. What I mean is, is that for some here this morning, even though our Lord Jesus Christ has equipped you and equipped me with everything that we need to thrive down in the depths of, our, of a rich, rich Christian experience, oftentimes we have made ourselves content snorkeling at the surface. Maybe for some here this morning, instead of utilizing the precious opportunity that God has given you and has provided you for experiencing Him powerfully right now in the pursuit of His kingdom, oftentimes, unintentionally, we squander away the opportunity in the shallows of our own kingdom pursuits when we've been equipped to dive in many ways. What I mean to say is that the shallows is that you're in the water, you're a Christian, you're in the water, but perhaps you are content in the shallows. And how does that kind of work itself out? Well, sometimes you pray, but it's not those types of prayers that have any depth to them. They're those types of prayers that are short and sweet. They're the types of prayers that you kind of throw up to the Lord as you drive to work in your car. Is that the potential He has for us oftentimes? It's usually what we settle for. You may serve, in church or maybe in another outreach of some way, but you just serve a little because you know you gotta make sure you don't use up too much time serving God's kingdom because you know you have certain areas of your life. So it's sort of a shallow existence. Perhaps you have been to the depths of God's enablement and empowerment through what he's given you, and perhaps now you kind of feel like you're in a rut, a spiritual rut. You've been snorkeling before, but you just can't seem to put the gear back on and you've kind of forgotten what that experience is like. You see the people down there, you see them sh swimming around and in the depths of God's power, but you yourself, you're kind of in a rough spot and you don't really know how to get out of it. So I'm so glad that God's word gives us an answer to that problem that we have in being a spiritual rut. So if you have your Bibles, please turn in whatever format you have. Please turn to Acts chapter 1, starting in verse 4. Acts chapter 1, verse 4. And our topic this morning is the Holy Spirit. 
And I want to demonstrate from this passage that we'll be looking at this morning how God, if you're a believer, has equipped you and me with all that is needed to live and to thrive at the depths of where our Christian call may lead us. And so my main point this morning is that your union with Christ enables you by the power of God to live for God's glory. Is that your union with Christ enables you by the power of God's Spirit to live your life to God's glory. And oftentimes we either don't live that way or oftentimes we don't know how. And so if you would turn to Acts chapter 1 verse 4 and by the time Jesus comes on the scene in the New Testament, the nation of Israel had been snorkeling around in the spiritual shallows for centuries. They had the Holy Spirit, but yet the Holy Spirit was a little bit different for the Old Testament saints than what is promised to us as believers in the sense that the, Old, the Holy Spirit was someone who was temporary in the indwelling of a believer. It wasn't something that was perpetual, which means that a person could receive the Holy Spirit a moment in time, but it wasn't permanent, it would go away. And so it really limited, God limited the scope of the Holy Spirit's work in certain believers' lives in the Old Testament. That was very different than what's promised in the New Testament. And he wasn't present in all people in the Old Testament. There were only certain people and certain saints in which the Holy Spirit would indwell. And it was temporary, and it was for a purpose, and then he's gone, as it appeared. And so that was a very different thing than what the New Testament's promising us. Now, in the Old Testament, God spoke of a time in, where, in which he would send the Holy Spirit to his people permanently. So we have Jeremiah 31 and other passages that talk about these, uh, these times. And when Jesus came, he began speaking about this promise of the Spirit openly to the people of God. And the the indwelling part of the Holy Spirit was something that was associated with the coming kingdom. The kingdom of God and the Spirit was something that was associated very closely together. And this outpouring is what the Bible calls the baptism of the Spirit. It was going to be an outpouring that God was going to do in the last days. And, it, and Jesus started talking about it, as did John the Baptist, in his ministry about the baptism of the Spirit. So let's pick up in the conversation in Acts chapter 1, we're going to start in verse 4, and this is where Luke is reminding the disciples of one such conversation Jesus had with them before he ascended. So Luke chapter 1, I mean, yeah, chapter 1 verse 4. While he was with them, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the Father's promise. So this is Luke reminding the disciples, uh, or he was reminding Theophilus of the conversation that Jesus had with the disciples. He said, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the Father's promise. Again, the promise of the Holy Spirit, which he said, you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with what? The Holy Spirit in a few days. And so we have passages where this promise was revealed. Isaiah 32, if you want to look that up, Isaiah 44, you have Joel 2 is our inf are examples of where this promise was talked about. And he says, I want you to go to Jerusalem and I want you to wait there because I am going to send him to you. Now, you may remember in John chapter 7 that Jesus talked about this Holy Spirit that was going to well up within them with rivers of water and he said that those who, but he did not give that, he did not give the Holy Spirit to them because Jesus had not been yet glorified. And so he was talking about the Spirit. Well, now when Jesus goes and he's glorified, he's going to come back and he's going to be able, for whatever reason God has determined, 
to pour out this Holy Spirit onto all types of people and everybody who is a believer. And so he says he will be baptized with the Holy Spirit in the last few days. And so when they came together, they asked him, Lord, are you restoring the kingdom at this time? That's, that's appropriate, right? The coming of the Spirit is going to be coming with the kingdom. They had been asking the Lord about this kingdom many times during their journeys in the New Testament, didn't they? They had also asked Jesus to make sure that one of or both of them would become rulers in the kingdom. You remember James and John's mother came and sort of heliocoptered around Jesus about her sons and asked that he, they, would, they would be able to serve in this kingdom. So they had this idea of a kingdom. They knew that this kingdom was going to be a kingdom in which they were going to be able to exercise God's reign and authority in the land, and that, that it would be over these other nations. They would somehow be subjugated to them. And so they're expecting this. He's talking about the pouring out of the Spirit. Well, remember, in the Old Testament, they were expecting that this pouring out of the Spirit was going to be associated with the kingdom. And Jesus, interestingly, he says to them, it is not for you to know the times or the periods that the Father has set by his own authority. So that's interesting. He didn't say, no, there's not going to be a kingdom now because Israel did not repent. Any kingdom we have now is just going to be a spiritual one, and that'll go in until I come back. He didn't say that. What he said was, is we're not going to talk about the times and the seasons. That's not what I want you to focus on right now. I know that you have these expectations for your own kingdom and how you're going to reign and do all these other things, but I want you to put your desires and your expectations about what the kingdom is going to be. I don't want you to focus about that. The Lord has set this time for him to know about, but that's not going to be your focus. What your focus is going to be is being my witnesses into the kingdom. And isn't that true? Oftentimes we look at what God's going to do for us, and God wants to do things for us, but he wants whatever we are doing for God to be a vestige or something that's an outflow of us pursuing his kingdom. We want our identity and our desires to be things for his kingdom. And so he's reorientating them to this. Yes, I know you're expecting the kingdom to come with the spirit and the kingdom is going to come, but don't talk. we're not going to talk about that right now. I want you to focus on verse 8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. He says, I'm not going to have you focus on that. You are going to be my witnesses whenever you receive power. You're going to receive the Spirit. It's not here yet. I'm going to go away for a few days on the day of Pentecost. I'm going to come back. He's not saying this, but we can read ahead into Acts 2. And we know that that's going to happen. And he's going to pour out the Spirit on the all people. And so it's very interesting here that God knows that you and I are very limited without his Spirit. He provided Spirit his spirit in the Old Testament for believers in order to enable them to do things. But this promise of the spirit was something that God himself made a big deal about. He goes, look, I'm promising you this permanent indwelling of my power in the future days. And I, I find that striking compared to, I think sometimes you and I have a ho-hum attitude about having access to the spirit, having access to it. Now, he says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit's come on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth, verse 9. And after he said this, he was taken up as they were watching, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while he was going, they were gazing into heaven, and suddenly two men in white clothes stood by them. And they said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up into heaven? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come in the same way that you have seen him going into heaven. And so 
I want to sort of bring out and flesh out three implications of spirit baptism that I see in this passage. Three implications of spirit baptism that I see in this passage. The first one is that God promises union with Christ through spirit baptism to every believer. And so I think this is a proper to take time to make a distinction between spirit baptism and the filling of the spirit. Sometimes they're synonymous depending on the context, but spirit baptism is, is different. This is an account, and we'll see this in Acts chapter 2, where the Holy Spirit is poured out onto all people, His people. And from that point on, the Holy Spirit is indwelling all believers permanently from that period on. This outpouring, this was not something, this was new, this was not happening in the Old Testament. This is something that you and I have access to that the Jews would have could have just hoped for. So this permanent indwelling is very important. And then subsequent to that time, Ephesians tells us in uh, Ephesians chapter 1 that every believer, once you become saved and you believe in Jesus Christ for eternal life, you are placed into that spirit. And you are permanently placed into the body of Christ. That's what the baptism of the Spirit is. It is you being placed into the body of Christ. So, for example, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Romans 6, chapter 3, and it says, are you, he was, the, Paul is writing to the book of Romans about this being placed in the body of Christ. And he fleshes it out this way. This is in chapter 6, verse 3. He says, are you unaware that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? So that's interesting. When Christ got on the cross and he died, he died. And whenever you believed in Christ, you are placed in his life. Let me continue on. Therefore, we who are buried with him by baptism into death, in order that ju just as Jesus Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too may walk in newness of life. So when Jesus died on the cross, and um, he paid the penalty for all sin. For the sin of the entire world was paid on the cross through the death of his son. But it's by his resurrection is what enables you and I to have life. He was raised from the grave. And whenever you and I believe in Jesus Christ and through the, through the image or the model or the symbol of baptism, it is you and I expressing to all those watching, to our family and to our friends, that I died with Christ, that I no longer live. I, it's just like I got on the, Christ, on the cross with Christ and I died. And I died with him because it was my sin that put him there. And then whenever he rose from the grave, it is the same as me being raised with him. What that means, Al, what that means, Susan, is that you and I, because we believe in Jesus Christ, the life you have is the very life of Christ. It is his very life that is animating you spiritually before God. You may not feel any different, but you should. You may not always look different. We wish some of you did. But you, life, somehow your life has been attached to Christ and you are in Christ. And that's a one-time event and it happens the moment you believe. We're going to be going into the book of Acts and we're going to see some examples in which the people were not immediately... Um, given the Holy Spirit, and we'll talk about what those are. But for our intents and purposes, as you and I have been given a great privilege of being able to have access to the Holy Spirit, you and I have been placed in Christ. And I love what Romans 6 says. He goes, we, therefore, we've been buried with him in baptism into his death in order that. That's a cause. There's a reason why God buried you with him. In order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too may walk in newness of life. 
you're enabled to walk in life. It's like you get to put on the air tank and you get to go deep. You don't have to sit there and take these little pitiful gasp of air and go down. I mean, you've been given access to being able to go and be and live in this environment. This is not, this is a foreign environment to us. This is not our home. And you and I, if we do not have air from the father of air, if we don't have life from the father of life, you're going to have a very temporary and pitiful existence. You're only going to be able to kind of swim around on the surface. But God offers us the enablement to live for him in a powerful way. Not necessarily supernatural, although it is supernatural. Any life you and I live by his power is a supernatural life. But that's what he's offering us. Then he says in verse 5, For if we have been united with him in the likeness of his death, we will certainly also be in the likeness of his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be rendered powerless so that we may no longer be enslaved to sin. What that means is because you've died to your old self, your sin is dead as well with Christ. It died with Christ. You are now freed from the enslavement, enslavement of sin. Isn't that good news? That's, this is something that Old Testament saints would have rejoiced to know about. And sometimes I think as Christians, we kind of live as if this is a ho-hum thing. But this is a big deal. God made a big deal about it. So, you and I are dead to Christ. And also, too, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians that we are all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jew or Greek, whether slaves or free, and we are all given one spirit to drink. So that just reinforces this idea. This is a one-time occurrence. There's one spirit that we've all been placed to, and that's in Christ, if you've believed. We've all been given this one spirit to drink, and that is that. Second implication is that your union with Christ fully enables you to prioritize God's kingdom over your own. What that means is, is that your union with Christ gives you the ability to prioritize His kingdom over your own. Prior to you having the Holy Spirit, whose kingdom was always reigning? It was always your own. It was always for me, myself, and I. But now with the Holy Spirit, because you have access to this power, you have access to this insight, you can now live for Christ. It's not something that happens as a result of Him jerking you in and dragging you along. This is something that you submit to. And you have the ability to, you have the enablement by the Holy Spirit to do that. The Spirit equips you with divine power. Listen to this verse in, in 2 Peter 1.3. It says, His divine power has given us everything required for life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. What do I, what do I need? No, nothing. You have everything available to you. By these, He has given us very great and precious promises so that through them you may share in the divine nature. The divine nature is that nature which God Himself has, which has God's concerns in mind. He has God's desires in mind. He has God's inclinations in mind. It's not something that He forces upon you, but you have access as you draw close to Him. His inclinations and His desires and His perspectives are something that become yours as you stay close to Him. And we'll talk about how do we, how do, we do that. But you begin to take on the attributes of the one you worship. That's true of anywhere. If you worship wealth, you're going to take on the attributes of that. If you worship Food, you're going to take on the attributes of that. If you, take, if, you, if you worship people's opinion, you're going to take on the attitude of that. 
If you worship God, you're going to take on the attributes of God. And so it's all about who we were through. So not only does he equip us with divine power, but he also equips us with the mind of Christ, which means our perceptions and our understandings and the conclusions that you and I are able to draw from the experiences of life have now been really uh, supplemented by the, the mind of Christ. First, uh, First Corinthians 2, verses 12 through 14 tells us this. He says, Now we have not received the spirit of this world, but the spirit who comes from God, so that we may understand what has been freely given to us by God. So there is, an, there is an, a clarity, there's an amount of understanding, not perfectly immediately, but there is a certain level. You have access to a level of understanding about who God is as a result of your union with Him, we also speak these things not in words taught by human wisdom, Paul says, but in those taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual things to spiritual people. That's going to come from the Word of God. It's a, it's a kind of language that He speaks to us. A person who does not have the Spirit, or someone who is not even open or inclined to the things of God, or maybe they've shut off God, they hear the Word of God, and it doesn't change anything. It has no effect on their life. But to those who are hungry and those who are humble and those who are willing to live for God and to live within the boundaries that He has, whenever you come to God's Word, He gives you access to His mind through the truth. Things that didn't make sense become sensible. Things that did not seem like they were desirable become very desirable. Attitudes and, and um, desires that you used to have kind of shed away as you come before God and you have your heart open to Him. But the person without the Spirit does not receive what comes from God's Spirit because it is foolishness to him. It's foolishness. He is not able to understand it because it's evaluated spiritually. And so we have access to the mind of Christ. We have access to all of the tools that allow us to participate in the divine nature. Thirdly, the third implication is that union with Christ enables faithfulness here while keeping our eyes peeled for heaven. Jesus didn't tell the disciples as they looked up, they said, he, he didn't say, hey, forget about the kingdom of God. Don't worry about it. You are stuck here with, a, with the fate of having to just drobble along and serving me in this kingdom. That's not what he said at all. Look, in, in a way, I have something better for you. No, the kingdom's going to come, but you're going to be empowered now. You're going to be involved in me in the aspects of the kingdom here and now by my spirit. And so our union with Christ enables faithfulness here and having joy here and really liking serving the Lord and liking humbling yourself and liking sacrificing and really you can see the purpose in your efforts you can see the purpose in what you're doing if you have surrendered to that and it will allow you to enjoy what you're doing here even if it's not ideal for you, it will give you a joy and a peace because you know that you are using this for the kingdom. It can be any situation that you're in. You can use your family. You can use your job. You can do everything as unto the Lord. You can turn everything that you're doing. If you decide if you're stuck in it and you can't get out of it, then turn it over to the Lord. You can lean into the Lord when you, with your sickness. You can lean into the Lord and use it as a type of worship in a bad marriage. That breakup that you went through can be something that God can use marvelously in your life if you will submit to Him and trust Him and lean into that, knowing that this is kingdom stuff. Blessings and disappointments and everything that you face in your life is not there by accident. 
God has divinely and uniquely placed you in the situations that you're in. Yes, you make bad decisions. Yes, sometimes you wish you would have done something differently. But the God doesn't, God's hands are not wringing with sweat as a result of that. He's going to take what you do and he's going to take what's happening to you and he's going to work it out to his kingdom. Do you, enjoy, do you enjoy that? Do you have a confidence in that? Is that something that you want to praise God for in spite of the difficulties that you can praise God because he enables you to be faithful while all the while keeping your eyes for him coming. He goes, I don't want to talk about times. Right now, you work in my power. I'm coming, but right now, keep your eyes on the work while always keep them also peeled for heaven. And we can do that as a result of being unified to the Spirit. It allows us to enjoy our life, to live in this world, but not be contaminated by the world. It allows us to have purpose in this life without us adopting the purchase of the purpose of the world because we have another purpose. Our union with Christ is the most marvelous thing He could possibly offer us this side of heaven. And the Bible tells us that you and I have only been given a portion of that, that it's a down payment. What you have, that access, it's a down payment because one day the Lord is going to raise these mortal bodies to life. And what die, what is death and what is corruptible will take on incorruptibility. And you're going to be swallowed up by the life that you now have only in portion. You're going to be fully able to express that new life one day. And so, instead of just having a tank on your back, which is kind of the way I figure it, we have a tank on our back, I guess we're going to have a hose. <laughs> you know, the, the deep sea divers that have a hose and they have a continuous, uh, that's probably not a good analogy. But the idea is that that air tank that we have here now is temporary, but it's much more robust than snorkeling at the surface. And you have a choice on whether you're going to snorkel at the surface or you're going to go ahead and dive into the, your deep richness and relationship with God and get involved in His kingdom and start to embrace the things that He embraces. And then he, I love that I come to this church and so many of you are so involved in, I mean, you're serious about your faith. I love that. It's making me a stronger Christian. It is allowing me to see the fruit of years of be, perhaps being in an environment where there was a lot of apathy and stuff. There's a lot of you I, I hang out with just because you make me stronger. You make me want to serve the Lord more. You encourage me. And I see your lives and I see how you're handling things. And that is such a blessing. We all need that. So your union with Christ enables faithfulness here while keeping your eyes peeled for heaven. Your union with Christ enables you to live for the glory of God here. And it's a great privilege. And the issue is, are we taking advantage of it? So how do we take advantage of it? How can we experience His power? The first one is a daily surrender and acknowledgement. I would encourage you to do this as soon as your eyes are able to focus in the morning. Um, I'm kind of reluctant to share this because I don't want you to think I'm all spiritual and everything, but some years ago, I decided that I, the, my, the very first thing I was going to do when I got out of bed was hit my knees and thank the Lord and pray to Him. And it's not a long prayer. Sometimes it's not even a minute long, but it's just kind of an acknowledgement by me that God is my creator and I love Him. And so I just go into Thanksgiving. I thank you for my wife. I thank you for my house. I thank you for my job. I thank you for 
our church, our dogs. I thank you for all this. You are my, you are my king. You are my glory, Lord. And I pray that you would help me to yield to your Holy Spirit today. Help me surrender to your will, not mine today. Help me, give me the strength to do. I don't know what I would do. Some of you who may not see the best side of me, my wife's probably one of them. Imagine what kind of person I'd be if I wasn't doing that. Because I'm, I'm trying to yield. I'm trying to walk in his way. I'm trying to embrace his values. But just do that in the morning. Say, I'm going to surrender to him. Because remember, he's not going to jerk us into faithfulness. He's not going to jerk us into automatic sanctification. This is something that you and I must willingly yield to. So why not start with a daily surrender and acknowledgement of that? I love Galatians 5.16. It says, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the what? Isn't that true? It's a great verse. Secondly, try to find time to immerse yourself in God's Word. Immerse yourself in God's Word. The regular study of the Bible to understand the Holy Spirit's role and purposes in your life. Immerse yourself in it. Sometimes it's hard to spend extended periods of time. And, you know, and I know that those little short devotionals that we tend to do, they're fine and they do their work. But I would encourage you, there's nothing like getting an hour or two away from something or somebody, even if you have to wake up early, even if you can only do it once a week or so, maybe pick a Saturday when you're off and just get in there and say, shut my phone off, not even bringing it in here. I'm going to get my coffee and I'm going to get my dog and I'm going to spend an hour or maybe even two hours, if you're crazy, reading God's Word. Just pick it and go through systematically. There's just something cleansing about it. There's just something about it, what it does to your heart and life as you sit in front of it. The third thing is fellowship with other believers. I talked about that earlier. You guys are good for me. You keep the barnacles busted off of me many times. And oftentimes we starve ourselves of this nourishment from other believers by just not being regular attenders at church or small group or just not being around other Christians. Some of you and you're in a difficult situation and it's hard for you to be around brothers and sisters. And by the time you have the time, you kind of don't feel like doing it. Well, you're going to get in a rut. You're going to get in a rut if you're not spending time in prayer, you're not spending extended time in, in reading God's Word, and if you're not being around God's people, you're going to be in a rut. If you're not in a rut now, you just got, came out of a rut or about to go into a rut because that's what ruts do. They drag you into that. And it's paddling at the surface. It's snorkeling. It's snorkeling. You do that any day in and day out. I know how easy it is. I've got that way too. Acts 2.42 talks about that. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayers. That's, and then we see the growth of the church. As a result of those, it's like the ingredients to a spiritual life. You know, God's Word, prayer, fellowship, and the Lord's table and fellowship with other believers. Fourthly, um, intentional prayer for empowerment. Um, Luke 11 says, if you then who are evil, 11, 13, verse 13, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him for it? If that's something you want and you desire in your life, the Holy Spirit, the Lord tells me here is He wants to give that to you. But there are certain means by which you are able to avail yourself of the Holy Spirit, and it's through His Word and through prayer community with other believers and sisters in regular worship and yielding, that daily yielding to the Lord is what allows us to do, to do that. So, as we look at our life and we look at 
where we are in this life? Are you paddling at the surface of where God wants you to be? There is great potential that God has in your life, and I, and I don't want to minimize this, but in order for you to really experience God the, may, the, the way He wants you to, for some of you, not everybody, but for some of you, He may want you to make a radical change in your life. Some of you already know what that change is, and you just haven't really said it out loud, and you've been kind of ignoring what God wants you to do, but you know that there is something in your life that God is saying, I want you to pay attention to this. This is an area of your life I need you to deal with. And you've just ignored him. You stiff-armed him. You're just kind of pretending like you don't hear it. And you have people coming up to you and even telling you the same thing. But some kind of area in your life that you know the Lord is wanting you to change. It might be you might have to change your job. You might have to sell one of your cars. You may have to pick up the phone and tell this person, no, I cannot see you anymore. I cannot see you anymore. Or you need to call the phone and you need to pick it up and you need to say, I'm sorry. Can we meet for coffee? Am I sorry? I'm sorry that we've gotten this way. I don't know where exactly who's wrong or right, but I want to make it right with you. And the Lord's been telling you that. And you've been ignoring him. You're going to be in a rut. There may be some kind of situation you need to decision you need to make with your kids that you just oh, so difficult because you get rut. It seems like the Lord in my life He gets you to this area, and there's this one little hangup. And I'm okay. I'm still a Christian. I love. I pray, and all of this other. But there's this one area in my life that I'm just kind of holding on to, ugh, and I can't seem to get beyond it. And you're going to stagnate there. You might be convicted that you need to be more involved with other Christians. Or maybe the thing you know that you're just not spending the time with the Lord that you know He wants you to spend your time with. You're going to be in a rut. You're going to stagger. You're going to sit there and you're going to piddle at the top of the surface with God. And He has so much more for you. This is not a, a guilt thing. He is offering you so much more of Himself. And He's given us access to that. What is your one thing? What is that one thing that God wants you to do to deal with in order to get you out of that rut? Sometimes with a rut, I remember growing up on a farm. We had ruts all over the place. You know, in a rut, the way you develop a rut is that you go in the same direction over time, same direction over time, you know. Pretty soon you have a rut. And the longer you're there, the harder it is to what? Get out of a rut. And you have to make very exaggerated movements sometimes to get out of that rut. Well, that may be something for you. At this point, you've been in this rut for so long, you're going to have to do something drastic. I'm not talking about leave your family or <laughs> quit your job without having something. I'm not talking about that. But you know what it is. Something drastic. Sometimes a drastic move is necessary to get out of a rut. What is yours? I know what mine is. So what is yours? And so as we close, I want to pray for us. I want to pray for each one of us as we um, contemplate this. Contemplate what it is, God. Some of you are going well. You're, you're not too deep. You're kind of at the surface. You go up every once in a while and you're able to go deep for a while, that's good. That's a Christian life. You know, sometimes you're going to be deep. Some days you're going to be deep. Some days you're going to be not so deep. There's nothing wrong with that. Sometimes we, we do that in the Christian life. But if you know that you haven't been deep for a long time, maybe it's, this is the time to ask the Lord why. What rut am I in? This is what empowers the church. And as we go forward in the book of Acts, we can title this Empowered Beginnings. This is the, this is the fuel that starts the church, is this 
union with Christ that a believer can have through the baptism of the Spirit. And we see its effect throughout the church and throughout history all the way to our day. Don't you want to be a part of that? He's inviting us. Let's do it. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the encouragement that we have from this passage, is that your spirit has come and you've made it available to those who believe in you. And we thank you for your word on how it's able to just describe and bring to the surface in the areas of our lives things, Lord, that you want us to put aside so that we may grow faster, may grow better, may grow taller, and may be more productive for you. You want to be able to say on that day, well done, good and faithful servant, not because we deserve it, not because of anything you owe us, but just because of a thankful heart we have for you being our God. We want to hear you say, well done, good and faithful servant. I want to serve you, Lord. I pray that you would help me in those areas that I still am dragging my feet in. And I know there's other people here that you're speaking to that have areas in their life that, you, that they are having to lay before you, that they're going to have to... Um, get back on the cross in order to deal with. You're going to have to get back on that cross and just give it to you. Not pay for it, but give it to you. I just pray for that. Each one knows what it is. I pray that you would help us. Encourage those who are doing well, Lord. They allow us to see what diving deep looks like, and it inspires the rest of us. But for those of us sometimes, Lord, who are up at the surface looking down, wishing we were there, Lord, I pray that you would help them today. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.